Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Fanless Podcast. The Monte Carlo Masters, the first clay court Masters of the year, has come to a conclusion with Stefanos Tsitsipas winning his first Masters 1000 title. Uh, and with me to discuss it and this week's tournaments in Barcelona and Belgrade is Marcus Ali. Marcus, how you doing? Yeah, feeling refreshed, thank you. It was an excellent tournament in Monte Carlo, plenty of thrills and spills. And when we get a tournament like that and see uh, sort of exciting player take the title like Six of Pass, it definitely makes me feel a bit more enthusiastic about the next few weeks coming up on the tour. So, yeah, looking forward to talking about how the clay court swings continuing and, uh, yeah, reacting to that excellent week in Monte Carlo. So, Stefanos Tsitsipas winning his first Masters title today. Uh, a stat that does surprise a little bit. You know, he's, he's been a top 10 player for a long time now um, and, and, and perhaps should have won a Masters title by now, um, despite two previous attempts in Masters finals and uh, not succeeding. He wins this one in Monte Carlo, beating Andre Rublev, the sixth seed, 6-3, 6-3. In quite a one-sided final, um, I think a lot of people uh, gave Rublev a, a bit, uh, well, a, well, a really good chance, to be honest. I know Marcus um, was expecting him to, to win this tournament at the semi-final stage when we when we spoke about it. And um, perhaps that Nadal win, um, that he got the, the most impressive win of the week uh, for Rublev, um, perhaps it did just just mean there wasn't too much left in the tank for the Sitsipas match. I'm not sure, but it was a fantastic performance that the, the Greek world number five put together. He's closed the gap on Dominic team uh, in the rankings to just less than 800 points now. So if he can uh, muster some, some good results together uh, at the coming Claycore Masters events, um, obviously got quite a few points to defend at Roland Garros after a good run last year. Um, but, you know, if, if he can really keep this form up, he's not too far off at a place in that world's top four now, um, which would be his, his highest ranking to date. So a really positive week for Sissabas, who, despite that surprising loss, I think was in the final of Acapulco to uh, Alexander Zverev. Um, he's actually had a really good year beating uh, Nadal at the Australian Open. Definitely the, the biggest result of the year for me in, in, in terms of the sport. And um, yeah, he, he seems to be going really well now. And now he's got that that Masters 1000 title ticked off, which, as I said before, I think maybe uh, he, he should have had done by now. So, yeah, Marcus, what do you think about the week for Stefan Sitspas? Really, really strong. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think we were really doubting his credentials as a, as a player to really break into that top four, probably in, in the quite near future. But no, he really did put an outstanding week together, I think. He, he just loves playing on the clay. I, I, I'd argue that, that his um, sort of skill level and capabilities on hard and clay, there isn't too much difference in it. Maybe only a slight edge I'd, I'd, I'd give to his clay court game, but he just seems to be so much more enthusiastic. So mentally, I feel like he just went up a gear. Um, you know, obviously has had a sort of up and up and down hard court season with some losses to Andre Rublev on the hard course and as Sasha Zverev, as you mentioned. So I think just that I think I said this last episode, just sort of a, a clean slate, a, a new start, and um, in a, in a different part of the world, and he really relished it. Um, and I think mentally that 
really elevated his game to which I think isn't um, isn't too noticeably better than it is on, on his hard course. Um, but no, yeah, a really outstanding week. And yeah, hopefully he can just can continue riding this wave and can feel as confident and as positive uh, in the rest of the clay court season. You mentioned the French Open and he'll have a lot of points to defend there having made the semi-final last year. I think he'll definitely need a good run um, going into it because we will have some some stronger players coming back and and probably getting themselves in in the best shape they've been in this year ahead of that tournament. But no, it's an outstanding week. I definitely sort of went for Rublev because I thought mentally it was a bit more solid. I thought uh, Sitsipas would have walked into this final with maybe weighed down a little bit that he hadn't won a Masters title yet, but there was there was none of that. Um, as soon as he got on top, really, really didn't let his foot off the pedal and Rublev didn't really have the answers. Getting that break at the start of the, the second set was crucial. Um, always a great way to build momentum sort of after you've taken the first set, then go and break straight away at the start of the next set really does make it a mountain to climb, which, it, you know, it wasn't to be for the Russian. Just one thing on Rublev, I think, one trend that maybe is starting to appear, and I'll be interested to see what your thoughts on this are, Michael, is he doesn't tend to lose matches particularly well. Um, once he's behind, he doesn't tend to come back that much. If you just look at his losses, you know, lost to Medvedev, I think, at the Australian Open and the US Open in, in straight sets, definitely the US. Um, and obviously just, yeah, that, that lost to Sitsipas uh, recently. He'd lost to Bautista Agut on... Um, one of the uh, earlier hardcore tournaments of the year as well. He just, Karatsev as well. I mean, I mean that was a better match, but he, he tends to not really have too much, I don't want to say fight, but I think I think mentally sometimes he struggles tactically to turn a game around when a player's on top of him. Um, so maybe there's a, a bit in that, maybe a bit of a lack of variety, lack of a, a plan B when he doesn't hit his straps and he goes down a set. Um, so maybe, I mean, it's a smaller sample size, but we'll be able to see if there's anything in that as, as, as the weeks and months go on. But I definitely think that the way that Sissipas has won that much and the way that Rublev has lost to Medvedev uh, at slams in the past suggests that maybe once you've got the beating of him early, you, you've got the beating of him in a match. And, um, you know, that's not taking anything away from Sissipas. It was a great win. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure it'll take plenty of confidence out of it and, Hopefully, you can put that into Barcelona this week. I think there's maybe two ways of, of looking at that because um, obviously, if he's not losing matches in in three sets and, and losing long matches, but rather losing them in, in two sets, you know, I, I, I get what you're saying about that. But then maybe it's also saying that the matches that do go the distance, uh, get into those third sets, are the ones that he ends up winning. I mean, you've got to remember he took the first set against Nadal and was a breakup in the second set. Um, and I know you say maybe he doesn't have a lot of fight when players are on top of him, but you, you've got to remember Nadal broke back uh, in, in that match to, to force it to a, a third set. And this is a Rafa Nadal on clay. Uh, and, and I think you'd have to say at that point in the match, Nadal was certainly on top of Rublev, um, having sort of come back from a set and a breakdown to equal it a, a settle. Um, you know, that that's a good that's a good uh, while and a, a good few games uh, that Nadal was was well on top for Rublev for. And Rublev, you know, even said in the interview afterwards that uh, he, he felt that Nadal was definitely favourite and, and definitely on top of him at that point. So I feel, um, whereas I do understand what you're saying, I, 
I think that match against Nadal certainly does show that uh, he, he has got the fight. Um, I was going to mention um, in this bit that uh, Rublev, prior to Miami, um, the Masters tournament we had a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, he'd only ever made one quarter final in uh, 21 attempts at Masters. So I do think, despite maybe not having too much fight in that match against Sitsipas and um, maybe being a little bit blown out from that uh, Nadal match, I think he'll be really, really happy with how those two Masters tournaments have, have gone for him because there have been question marks over Rublev's uh, Grand Slam and Masters level ability, winning a lot of titles at 250 and 500 level, uh, but still hasn't really had a run at a Grand Slam. I think he maybe, or was it a quarterfinal that he lost to Medvedev at the US Open last year, I think. Um, so I think that's one, one quarterfinal at a Grand Slam. And... Um, you know, I think there have been question marks, especially on the, the tennis podcast uh, I was I was listening to a couple of weeks ago. Um, just question marks over whether he had the ability to take it to a, a bigger level. But I do think a, a Miami Open semi-final and Monte Carlo Masters final uh, back-to-back definitely sort of put those arguments to, to bed a little bit. Um, but all, all your points on Sitspass... Um, completely completely agree with he he definitely has the showings of a a really versatile player and um one who can play on 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 multiple surfaces because you say he's got this brilliant clay court ability and a big topic of this podcast quite recently is uh can players who can play so well on the clay court take it to another court uh, in particular the young players we sort of put sort of Christian Garin into that bracket and Casper Root but uh, Sitsipas is definitely someone that can and, and, and arguably has made his breakthrough off of the clay court making his breakthrough at the Australian Open a couple of years ago winning uh, the um, ATP Tour finals um, at the back end of 2018 I think that was so um, yeah definitely a lot of signs there from Sitsipas that he can be winning multiple Grand Slams on his career at multiple different venues. So I, I look at all three, uh, all four of the Grand Slams, sorry, and um, don't really see one that I could write him off winning at this point. I think we're yet to, to see too much from him at Wimbledon, but obviously uh, Wimbledon didn't happen last year, so it was, and he would have only played Wimbledon two or two or three times, I think. So um, yeah, no, really excited to see where Sitsipas can go. Um, later this year and I think a real threat at the French Open you know he gave uh, Djokovic that amazing match at the French Open uh, last year in, in the semi-finals and, and I do think that he'll really fancy himself to, to go further at the, the French Open this year and obviously it all depends on the draw if he gets drawn in the Dow's half um, half so like normal there half um, then then obviously it gets a little bit different but uh, I, I think Sitsipas would if he's not in the Dallas half of the draw in, in the French Open, then I, I would fully think we could be seeing him uh, really, really attempt to get into that first Grand Slam final for him. Um, so, yeah, no, that's that's pretty much it on uh, Monte Carlo. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to say, Marcus, uh, on, on Monte Carlo, and particularly on those those Rublev points of, of that win over Nadal, really perhaps in that match uh, showing that he, he does have the fight. Yeah, maybe. Um, he's only lost five matches this year, I think I'm right in saying. Yeah. Uh, and four of those are in straights and, and one of them isn't. I think so. Maybe a bit of recency bias. You know, we're only in sort of not even halfway into the year, but just this year in particular, it feels like the matches he's losing is maybe not 
I've been able to get as much out of him. That was to Medvedev in straights, Roberto Bautista are good in straights. Then to Karatsev, that was the one that went to a deciding set. And then he's lost in straights to Urkacz and now Sitsipas. So just maybe something to keep an eye on uh, as, as this clay court season goes on. But overall, you know, not, not to take anything away from it. It's a very good week and um, good for him to reach his first Masters final at the age of 23. Okay, so we've got uh, two tournaments uh, going ahead this week, uh, both on the clay courts, of course, with it being the uh, the clay court season now. And we uh, go to Barcelona in Spain uh, to start off with. Um, a tournament that Rafael Nadal will be going for his 12th title at. Uh, been doing some research onto his uh, record at Barcelona. And if you think his records at the French Open are are crazy you know that these are just as good if not even better probably um nadal uh well actually i think he's only lost is it only twice at the french open actually um he's only lost four times at barcelona 62 wins and four defeats um one of them coming in the last tournament that was played at barcelona's dominic team in the semi-final a, a fantastic win for team uh, who won the title beating medvedev in the final however uh team not playing this year. I'm assuming that's because uh, he's still having some problems. I think it's his foot, isn't it? And um, hopefully uh, he, I, I believe it will, it's just sort of resting up for the French. I haven't heard that he's he's going to be out of the whole clay court season. Um, so yeah, just missing this tournament in Barcelona. So uh, Nadal topping the draw in Barcelona. Um, a, f- a few names there that potentially could uh, beat him and stop him getting that 12 title. One, of course, being Andre Rublev, who uh, beat Nadal just a few days ago. Stefan Sitsipas uh, is the second seed, um, winning that title. Monte Carlo and playing straight away in Barcelona. Um, you know, also the likes of a uh, well, well experienced uh, clay court Italian, uh, Italian Spanish uh, players, Creno Busta and Bautista are good in the draw and uh, Yannick Sinner, the youngster. But a lot of youngsters uh, in this draw. Casper um, Ruud, unfortunately, putting out Marcus Somi for the podcast. Um, you've got the 17-year-old Holger Rune facing Ramos Minolas in the first round. Um, and Lorenzo Massetti, I think Sebastian Corda is, oh no, I think that's Belgrade actually that Corda's playing in. But uh, yeah, quite a few youngsters about in this draw. Um, as usual, we're just going to go through our, our quarterfinal predictions for this uh, 500 event. Um, I'll hand over to, to Marcus to give his. Yeah, so to kick off at the top of the draw, obviously I've got Rafael Nadal, not very... Uh... Not very interesting. It's really hard to back against him when, as you say, you know, 62 wins and four losses. It's hard to make a case, even at the age of 34, where he's going to stumble in this draw. Uh, so I've got him to face David Goffin, who I've got to progress past Pierre Ugezebert and Karen Hatchinov in this match. Um, has had a decent last few weeks, Goffin, um, and is still just sustaining that ranking firmly inside the top 15, which is a decent achievement for the Belgian um, at the age of 30. Then the second quarter final, got Diego Schwartzman, who had a Disappointing defeat last week to make his way to the... I have him to go all the way to the semi-final, but uh, for the purposes of this, in that second quarter final to face Fabio Fonini, the Italian. 
Um, I've got him to beat Zapata Mireyes in the second round. He's got a bye in the first round and then to beat Pablo Corona Busta, which could be quite an interesting match if those two face off. I think Corona Busta, probably the more consistent player at this uh, stage of his career, but Fonini on his day has definitely got enough to, to make the quarterfinal for me. Then um, I've got Diego Schwartzman also to put out Carlos Alcaraz in the second round, which could be a really, really good match if that does come to pass. Um, Alcaraz has got TFO in the first round, which could be an interesting match as well. Uh, the third quarterfinal, I've got Yannick Sinner to play Andre Rublev, even though obviously it's going to be a quick turnaround for the likes of Rublev. I think a bye in the first round and then playing Benoit Paire or a lucky loser in Jao in the second round. And then obviously the withdrawal of Kasper Ruud makes it quite an easier quarter for him to make his way through. So I think he can come in quite fresh to play Yannick Sinner, who will likely have to try and beat Roberto Bautista a good, uh, to which he's already done twice this year, but to to get through and make, make that quarterfinal. And then at the bottom of the draw, I've got Lorenzo Massetti to come for a few tests. He's got Feliciano Lopez in the first round. Then I've got him to beat Felix Auger-Aliassime in the second. And then I did have Nicolas Basilashvili to the to the third round, but so that that's not going to happen. It's going to have to be Massetti against one of Denis Shapovalov and Jeremy Shardy in, in that third round to see if he can make it through. And I've got him to play the second seed, Stefanos Tsitsipas, who actually has quite a tough uh, second round match. Obviously, he's got a bye in the first round, which is Halmay Munar, the wild card. Still got to get through his first round, obviously. But um, if he if he can win that, then I think this could be quite a, a tough match for Tsitsipas. Munar took two sets off the Greek in, at the French Open last year, and then Tsitsipas came from two sets down to get the win so if that rematch does happen it will be quite interesting um and then obviously Alejandro Davidovich Fokina which will be interesting to see how his fitness is after retiring against it's a pass in Monte Carlo and then obviously set up that match with uh Lorenzo Massetti I do have the same final as I predicted for Monte Carlo and same result I had Nadal to beat it's a pass in the final there and I've gone with the same again so yeah not not the most interesting top seed to beat second seed in the final, but you know, it's going to be a quite an open tournament. I know you've gone for some different shouts and uh, looking forward to this one. Yeah. Um, the only quarter final that I've got, uh, the exact same is Nadal uh, Goffin, that top quarter final, not really anyone I see giving Nadal too many problems early on. Um, and of course, Goffin, uh, a great player on a clay court, very solid player. Um, with Karen Hatchinoff in his little section there. Hatchinoff can be a little bit hit and miss. Um, not a bad clay court player, but not not the strongest environment. So, um, yeah, Goffin to get to the quarter in that bit. Um, for the next one, I've got a completely different lineup. I'm actually backing the uh, 17-year-old Carlos Alcaraz uh, to beat Diogo Schwartzman in the second round. That'll be after a win against Francis Tiafo in the first. Uh, got him to come for against Dan Evans in the third round. And I face Pablo Carreño Busta. The, uh, the the Spaniards playing really well on the clay court at the moment, as is Fanini. That's a really interesting third round matchup uh, between the ninth and the sixth seed uh, if they both get there. Uh, however, I, I, I just think with it being in Spain um, and uh, Fanini, I think, can still blow a little bit hot and cold, which I, I suppose Carreño Busta can as well. Um, but like for me, Carreño Busta feels a little bit of a safer bet. And I have actually got him to beat Alcaraz in the quarter. So I've got Crenobuster to get to the semi-final to face Nadal. Um, the 
Bears quarterfinal, I've got Yannick Sinner to face uh, Andre Rublev. Um, not too much I can I can say uh, on, on sort of Rublev's run. Obviously, as Marcus says, Kasparu going out uh, might help him get to that quarterfinal. Sinner definitely having a, a tough a tough start playing uh, Igor Grasimov in, in his first match in the second round. He's come through quite comfortably against Joe Wilfred Songa earlier today. Uh, great to see Songa back on court, um, but I, I expect potentially a, a retirement from Songa over the next year or two, maybe. He didn't really look him himself and, and, and looked kind of just happy to, to be sort of there and, and and maybe his heart isn't in it too much at the moment. I know with with sort of his his family life and his young child. Um, but Grasimov, to be fair to him, played a, a very good match. So I do actually think, yeah, Belarusin could could give Sinner quite a, a tough one. Obviously, then going on to face uh, Batista Agu, but I have actually put Sinner to beat Rublev um, in that quarterfinal. The way sort of Marcus is putting it with with sort of the routes being easier, I am maybe questioning myself there now, because actually, as I look further down my draw, I've actually got Sinner all the way to the final. So um, I'm, I'm talking about Sinner um, as if he's got the hardest run ever and he might lose at any point. And normally I wouldn't back a player that much. Um, but Sinner is one I like to get a bit carried away with. So I have got him to the final to face uh, Nadal. Uh, the the fourth quarter final, I've got uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime. Um, to face, well, well, we'll get to this in a sec, actually, but I've, I've got Ojeales in to get to the quarter more because, though I'm, I'm excited about Lorenzo Massetti, um, I think Ojeales is a good player. Look, I can't remember who it was uh, he played last week, but I remember watching a bit of his clay court match last week. Doesn't look like a, a bad player on the clay at all, and now linking up with Nadal's uh, former coach and uncle, Tony Nadal. Um, I think it could really favour him. And I, I didn't really think Massetti or, or Jeremy Chardy, who um, I've got uh, for Auger-Aliassime in the third round face, um, I couldn't really see them giving him too much of a problem. So I'm hoping that Auger-Aliassime can uh, live up to sort of his uh, his ranking level and um, get through that bit of the draw. Both me and Marcus having Dennis Shapovalov to go in the second round uh, in that little section. Uh, Marcus having Basilashvili, who's just gone out to beat him. I've got Jeremy Shardy to beat him. Not a player that I, I really haven't seen anything from uh, on a clay court before. And then my, my biggest risk, really, of the tournament, um, I've got Alejandro Davidovich Fikina, the youngster, uh, to beat Sitsabas in the third round. Um, more, I, I never really like backing a player straight after they've had a really good week because so often we'll do our draws and then that player pulls out of the tournament after they've been uh, they've been saved. Um, and when I looked at Munar and uh, Davidovic Fikino, sort of sits passes likely first two matches um, in the second and third rounds. I, um, I I do actually feel like he won't get through those first two matches. Um, that's not me doubting sits passes a player at all, but I'm I'm, I'm just. Thinking, you know, after the week he had last week, some tough matches, um, these guys will be a little bit fresher, though obviously Davidovic Fikina did pull out injured in that match uh, when they were meant to play each other uh, in Monte Carlo. So hopefully his injury levels uh, aren't too bad and, and hopefully he doesn't pull out now uh, and I get a nice little red line in my draw. But yeah, so I've gone for quite a few upsets this week at Barcelona, but not not too much of a surprise. I have got them down to win. Um, we've got them down to face... 
uh, Yannick Sinner in the final and my, my bottom semi-final being Yannick Sinner against uh, Alejandro Davidovic Fikina. So uh, I'll definitely be satisfied if, if that semi-final comes off. Uh, okay, and then just moving on uh, to the second tournament of the week, um, the ATP Tour returns to Belgrade for the first time since 2012. Uh, with the Serbia Open. Uh, it's being played at the Novak Tennis Centre, which is actually where Novak Djokovic does most of his training. Um, Djokovic is the top seed there, so really I think he'll be a little bit miffed if he doesn't win this tournament with uh, sort of almost it being in his backyard. Although I, saying that, I'm not too sure um, if if the likes of sort of Dusan Lajevic and, and Filip Kujinovic um, the 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 Serb, other Serbian players, uh, they might well train at the Novak Tennis Center as well. So you know they might also be be their backyards. Um, when the Serbia Open did used to happen, it was a tournament for four years between 09 and 12, and uh, Djokovic won it twice uh, with Sam Querrey and uh, um, Seppi being the other winners there. Um, so as I say, um, Djokovic tops this draw. I'll go through. My draw first. In fact, actually, I won't because uh, we're changing how we're doing this one because my, me and Marcus have actually got the exact same quarterfinals to this one, so there's not too much uh, point in this running through them. But what I will do is I will go through what these quarterfinals are. And I know there's a couple of players, Marcus, um, probably wants to highlight in the draw um, a, a lot of good Serbian players in this tournament. I know he wants to talk about that. And um, the quarterfinals we've both gone for. Uh, the top one being Novak Djokovic to beat uh, Laszlo Jere. Um, then the second one, Aslan Kratsev to beat uh, Martom Fucevic. Um Duzan Lajevic to beat the young Emil Rusevori uh, in the third quarter final. And then uh, Filip Krajinovic to beat the number two seed, Matteo Berrettini. Uh, we've got it to go on to be a Djokovic and Krajinovic final. Uh, that would be the first against the fifth seed. Um, and, and out of those four semi-finalists, uh, three of them being Serbian. So, um, I, and, and it, I, it shouldn't, I shouldn't have to go about saying that uh, uh, Djokovic uh, to win the tournament from from both of us. Uh, but I know Marcus wanted to, to sort of pay tribute to the amount of Serbian players that, that are in this draw. Also, Kecmanovic and, and Jere, I think, make up the the five. Um, you, you, you've got a wild, couple of wild cards as well, actually, Um in there so I think that makes eight in total in the tournament but yeah yeah eight in total you got Victor Troitsky a throwback coming at the bottom of the jury lost out to Marco Cecchinato today Danilo Petrovic as well and Nikola Milojevic but I just think it's a nice sort of way to have these players on show and how good Serbia are at tennis right now compared to population and just how big Serbia is as a country. I suppose even in football, we see them probably punch above their weight in terms of how successful they are compared to the size of the country. But I mean, tennis on show as well. They've got some great players in this draw. I think Filip Kujinovic is a guy that me and you have backed. We've shown probably too much faith in, in the last sort of year or so in terms of our picks and, hopefully he can come through and repay some of our face, uh, faith uh, in this tournament. He's 33 in the world, but he hasn't really produced anything since the Australian Open. Um, so we need him to, to, to produce it this week. I think Dusan Lajevic will be quietly fancying his chances of getting out of that half of the draw. 
Um, but it'll be interesting to see how Emil Roussevori gets on the young Finnish player on the clay course. I haven't seen any of his matches, I don't think, on clay. So that'll be interesting to see how he gets on. I think uh, he'll set up a match with potentially John Milman in the second round, which could be quite interesting. Uh, Milman beat Federico Correa. He's had a few decent results after yeah, just arresting the slide, really, from some really poor form uh, since the start of this year. So, yeah, it's just going to be... An interesting week to see how these players go. And obviously, Matteo Berrettini, we need to sort of work out what on earth is going on there. Um, he's got to recover at some point or there's going to be a drastic slide down the rankings when um, when we sort of get towards the end of this year and, and the start of next year. Um, I think, you know, he's all right on the clay. He's definitely won the titles on hardcore and grass court. I'm not sure about clay, but um, I'm sure he should should be able to make his way through a couple of matches this week. Um, but yeah, obviously this at, at 250 level compared to Barcelona at 500. So maybe that one does boast more talent. I don't, I don't think we will see Novak Djokovic at 250 level very often. So it'd be interesting to see how he gets on and how some younger players can, well, just fancy giving it a crack. You know, he plays Ilya Ivashka or Talon Griegspor in the second round, which could be an interesting match to two sort of younger younger players trying to break into the top 100. Um, so this one, you know, potentially on the back burner a little bit this week with the Monte Carlo finalists and, and Nadal, the, the king of clay in Barcelona. But it'll definitely be good viewing, I think. Aslan Karatsev, one of the players of the year. Be interesting to see how he gets on as well um, after a couple of uh, less astonishing tournaments, let's say. He lost to Sebastian Corder, I think it was, in Miami. Um so, yeah, it's plenty of players, plenty of action, plenty of Serbian talent. And uh, I think that's definitely worth highlighting how well, how well they do and how many players they've got fighting it out at the top of the sport. Yeah, um, just quickly, so I had a look at uh, Berrettini actually has won uh, two of his three titles on clay uh, with the other coming on grass. So um, does does have a, a decent clay court. Uh, history. When, when you were going on for Serbia, I did a little bit of geography research, uh, Serbia is uh, only the 22nd biggest country in Europe. So I think that um, definitely speaks volumes to, to what Marcus was saying. Actually smaller than Portugal, which surprises me a little bit. Don't know why. Um, but yeah, um, I, I, I completely agree um, with with sort of... the uh, Tennis, I've, I think Djokovic is, is definitely a, a big part of, of why tennis is so big out there. And I know... Uh, I'm not saying that all of the players in this draw are playing because of Djokovic, because obviously, um, you know, quite a few of them are a similar age to Djokovic, obviously Victor Troisky being older. But um, I know Djokovic is really seen out in Serbia as, as, well, I mean, he is probably the most successful sports person ever from from there. And uh, they, they do sort of look up to him quite a lot. So um, I think it's great that we have a tournament back in Serbia because I think it was a shame Um since 2012, we haven't had this tournament when actually, uh, you know, you should really be having tournaments in the country of, of the best player in the world, um, which he has been ranked as uh, for, for a long time now, breaking records uh, in, in that department as well. Um, but yeah, I think this tournament, as you say, probably does take a little bit of a back burner, but definitely still interesting uh, to see. I think um, Karatsev, It'll be interesting to see him on the clay course there. We did get a chance to see him on the clay course this year in Monte Carlo, uh, this week, uh, just gone in Monte Carlo. 
um, winning his first round uh, against, I cannot remember actually, that was against... Um, Musetti, so it's quite an impressive yeah, start. Of, yeah, of course, yeah. I, I watched that match actually, I, I should remember that. Um, Musetti, and then going out to the the, for, the uh, future champion, Sitsipas, uh, and actually winning more games in the match against Sitsipas than, than Rublev managed against Sitsipas in the final. So I, I do think uh, if Kratsev... Um, can find some form in clay, then uh, then he could be a real threat at this this tournament, and that semi final with him and Djokovic could be really really interesting because I don't think we can really doubt uh, the the abilities of Kratsev anymore. Um, he he certainly could could cause Djokovic a big problem in a tournament where of course Djokovic will want to win it, being his tennis centre and that. But uh, we you know we we know that players like Djokovic. Um, and, and the top players are more prone to having defeats like that in these style of tournaments rather than, than in the Grand Slams. Uh, so, yeah, um, I think that's pretty much it on, on Belgrade uh, for now. Um, I did have uh, a little bit of trivia, actually, for Marcus. Um, although when I say a little bit of trivia, there's only really... Um, two answers that you can probably get out of the four. I was just going to ask you, uh, you might have even looked it up before when doing your notes, but um, there are only four men to, to beat Rafael Nadal at Barcelona. Um, if I give you the years and the nationality, and I have actually already mentioned one of them uh, to, today, but you know, we'll go through that. Um, you, we'll, I'll ask you that. So um, obviously, he, as I say, he lost uh, in the last one in 2019 uh, to an Austrian. I'll let Marcus fill in the gap. Yeah, uh, Dominic team, as you mentioned earlier. Correct, yeah. Uh, 2015, lost to an Italian. That was 2015. Okay. Uh, Fabio Fonini. Correct, yeah. A player who's beaten him in Monte Carlo before as well. Um, I think might have three wins against the Dow on clay in total, uh, but it's a lot more than... Um, than most players can boast. Uh, 2014, uh, lost to another Spaniard. Uh, is that Albert Ramos Finolas? It's not, no. I'm not sure then. I just... <laughs> so, a Spaniard that um, he... Sorry, what did you say, Marcus? Is it Ferrer? No, not Ferrer. Um, a Spaniard who, I believe... I believe he might have got top 10. Uh, if not, 11 um, and unfortunately uh, probably fell down the rankings a bit quicker than uh, than he would have liked to. I know he had a few injury problems. Uh, not, not ringing any bells, to be honest. Uh, oh, is it Nicolas uh, Almagro? Correct, yeah, Nicolas Almagro, uh, that one. And then um, 2000, so that was 2014, uh, to find his first loss, uh, at Barcelona, we go 11 years uh, before that in 2003. I know there was, I think there was one or two tournaments in between that uh, Nadal didn't play, um, won all of the other ones that he played in. Um, I must confess that uh, this is probably more of an age thing, um, despite this player being a uh, twice a French Open finalist. Uh, I, I don't actually know too much about this player. I, I do recognise the name. They are a former world number two, um, also of Spain. Uh, my, I'll give you a guess, Marcus, uh, but um, I know being yeah. being youthful like me, uh, you, right. you might not. Yeah, know. I mean, my main guess when you say world number two in some finals, I say Carlos Moya. No, not not Carlos Moya. No. 
No, I mean, it's pretty random for me then. I don't know. I, I don't know many Spanish players back then. I was four years old when, when this tournament was on. Yeah, um, it's an Alex Corteja or Corteja is maybe how you say it. Um, former world number two, twice a finalist at the French Open. Um, former world number two who never made it past the second round of Wimbledon. Um, you know, uh, I guess maybe that was sort of that period before the dominance of uh, the big three, if you like, of so players, if they did make a final of a Grand Slam. Uh, in fact, he never even made the semi of ever, any of the other Grand Slams. So um, perhaps a, a very clay court dominating player. And um, yeah, did manage to beat Nadal um, at uh, his first Barcelona tournament. But yeah, uh, Corteja, Almagro, Fanini and team. Uh, being the four men to beat Barcelona um, and a, a few names in that draw that will really be hoping to become the fifth man to beat him. And actually, uh, the, the, there is a real chance that, that they could do. I mean, I know I haven't backed Sitsipas and Rublev to get too far, but um, if they aren't too fatigued from last week and they are playing well and they do get to those final rounds, then of course there is every chance they could beat Nadal. Rublev has already proved it. He won't need any... Um, you know, any further inspiring before that match, he'll know full well that he can do it. So um could be a really interesting week. It, there's a lot of pressure on the top two in the world going into this week because uh, they're, they're definitely expected to be the two champions by the end of it. Um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty much all for today. Um, I believe both these tournaments available on Amazon Prime this week. Barcelona definitely is because I was watching a bit of the Thunder match. Uh, just before the podcast, um, and I think Belgrade also is on Amazon Prime, so uh, lots of tennis that you can watch this week uh, if you have access to that platform. Um, Marcus, thank you very much for joining me. No problem. Yeah, no uh, no hangover from Monte Carlo uh, this week for me. I'm really excited about these two, and I look forward to talking to you again towards the end of the week when we can look on uh, how these draws have, have progressed. You know, so many exciting young players on show, particularly in Barcelona. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this one. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening.